Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Bat Fanatic podcast. First of all, I'd like to welcome you to season two. This is the premiere for 2021. We're going to talk about a book that's everywhere right now. First, I got to let you know, if you're new to the show, we've got 27 other episodes reviewing Batman films and comics. I've got to shout out our longtime sponsor since day one, Radar Toys, right here in Eugene, Oregon. You can order online at RadarToys.com and get free shipping in the U.S. Save an extra 10% with the code BATFANPOD. I am joined once again by my co-hosts, Ben and Evan, and we're going to dive into the Jeff Johns, Jason Fabok, modern classic from 2020. This is Three Jokers. If we're ready, I'm rolling now. Oh, yeah. I know Evan is still uh, reading the book. Yep. <laughs> it's cool. I'm kind of in the same way that Ben watches the movies alongside. I think that I can read at the same pace that we're talking about. And it throws me <laughs> under the bus. I'm right here. No, okay. No, I, I don't think that you do it because you hadn't done it. You just like being reminded as it goes. So I'm just going to read the book for the first time while we're talking. It's, it's similar, <laughs> but different. You know, it's funny. On one of the last episodes, Ben was like, just talk over him. You just have to, you know, I learned how to do that from watching this guy. He just fucking jumps in. Um, and, uh, we were watching something last night. Oh, it was uh, Bill Maher had his season premiere. He was back. He had Kellyanne Conway on, and anytime she would, well, pretty much everything she said, he disagreed with. And so he would only go about half a second at a time without speaking. So she's giving her answer, and he's going, yeah, but, the, uh. I thought that's how you guys must feel. <laughs> Is this weird? It's been like two months. Mm, no. Do we remember what we're doing? I didn't remember what time we started. Do we ever know what we were doing? 8 a.m. Yeah. We already talked about all this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Why'd you have us read this turd of a book? Why are we starting out season two with this absolute crapper? I know. I thought that if I began this season with an obscure one, then maybe mm. we'd lose a lot of people right out of the gate. Mm. Smart. Yeah, strategy. None of us have said fuck yet, so I'm going to get that going. Oh, my God. Are you sure I haven't said it? That'd be weird. Uh. All right. Three Jokers, 2020. New shit. Written by Jeff Johns. Art by Jason Fabok. Colors by Brad Anderson. And lettering by Rob Lee. There's a lot to cover here, but I wanted to start with the... uh, multitude of covers i don't know how many you guys have seen my hardcover came with the uh lithographs of the uh original three those are nice the three standard covers um Uh the crowbar death in the family the criminal almost the heath ledger type and then we've got the peephole joker here the clown but the covers, I think there's three variants on each issue. Uh-huh. First one is Batman, then you have Batgirl, and then Red Hood. I can't remember the order of them exactly, but I actually got the Batman cover and sent it away to a, a mail-in signing that they were doing for it. 
uh, in December. So I'm really excited to see how that turns out. Have you also seen the other extra Joker covers? Yeah, yeah, there's a ton. I mean, you have the like the Time Bomb from A Death in the Family. My favorite one of all, I think, was the one where the Joker is pulling off the red hood. Yeah, I, I have that. that. I, um, I think that was from... That was either number two or number three. I forget. I got one of each of the originals from when they came out. Just masterful. I mean, I saw a dude... I think he's he goes by Batman Statue Collector, but he has a whole wall in his collection room that's just like CGC graded covers from this series. He's got all of them um, that's cool. just filling one wall. And I was like, man, that's a lot of space to dedicate to one book. But really, when you think about it, I mean, there's more iconic artwork in this series than almost anything we've had in years. Well, a lot of them are like referential or throwbacks. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's timeless. Like they're significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that they're new styled throwbacks and because they all keep a similar format they would look good together all placed together because they're all yeah. more or less framed in the same way with with a little deviations like the um the joker fish one being uh, kind of slightly different or something you know mm-hmm. it includes a little bit extra but they all look really well together and then the addition of the colorist throwing the like neon pink like single tone the lighting and the color scheme in this stuff is beautiful well, Nate's always more neon, more neon. Always. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Just give me, give me more. I, I also thought it was cool that that there was so many variants without employing other artists to do the variants. But he just did all of them. So there's the continuity and and you know the ability to have them all on the wall together and just look seamless. And I was following this series with great anticipation, building up to it. And to your point. DC had wanted to do like this is going to be a big event book you know let's get some of our A-listers to do some variants and Fabok was like no I want to do the variants and That's so cool. he really fought for that and him and Brad Anderson were like okay let's kind of settle on this theme that we're going to do this Brian Bolland killing joke face cover that's cropped uh-huh. right here. It's going to have this, the same lighting. We're going to go for consistency, but then they're going to just change the reference or the, the prop or whatever each time. And, and man, what a, what a brilliant idea. Cause I mean, the way this was done uh-huh. really is unique and special. I wonder what his pace is like, cause his drawings are, are incredibly, I'll say detailed, but detail doesn't always create like realism, but there's just the comic just, all the extra hatching and, and all the extra yeah. lines and his stuff is just full of that, but he draws it and inks it himself. So it, I mean, he's a beast and to what insist is, that he does all the covers. Yeah. His style reminds me of like Gary Frank. Well, he studied under Finch. Mm. Finch is the guy who did Brian. No, I'm thinking Hitch. Tom King. Is, oh yeah. I mean, I could see it. Yeah, but it just it has that look. It's also I think is it Steve Dillon, the guy who worked uh, Garth Ennis on like Preacher and things like that. Yeah, that like very as you're saying, it's like a realistic style, both in terms of like the designs, but also the proportions, mm-hmm. the way a body moves in this art is very realistic. Like anytime uh-huh. there's a close up of somebody's like 
hand hitting someone in the face or all that. It looks very visceral because it doesn't. It's like the way I think about it is Spider-Man 2 or any of the, the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Yeah. When you see him move, it looks like he has no joints. Yeah. So there's no sense of like what is it, what he's doing hard or anything like that. <laughs> Where this style is very, it's just very realistic and I, and I, I love it. That's my, uh-huh. Probably my favorite style, at least for Western comics, this kind of vibe. Yeah, it's very much like Finch, Jim Lee, Brian Ballin sort of lineage, but in many ways, it's leveling up, you know? I mean, I think it was one of the Bat Force guys when they interviewed Fabok saying, like, this makes me not want to see anyone else draw Batman ever again. Uh-huh. It's like, I mean, <laughs> anything would be a downgrade after this, you know? Like, that's why I had to get that cover signed. I was like, dude, the Joker covers are great, but the way he draws Batman is just, like, especially in the face, is uh-huh. just mean. Well, I think when you, you compare it to Jim Lee, and, like, I... With Jim Lee, I think maybe his a weaker spot for him are his faces. And it might not be a weaker spot, it's just his faces look they don't look they look less real, like real people. Yeah. They look like his style all the time. Yeah. Well this looks like you know, it could be you took a picture of someone and then drew a realistic depiction of their face. Yeah, uh-huh. and if you take like Jim Lee's Batman versus Fabox Batman, that's a cool comparison. But if you take Jim Lee's Joker Next to this Joker, there's just no, there's no comparison, you know. Uh-huh. How old is Fabok? Because he doesn't look like he's. I know. I, th- I think he's our age, or maybe even a little younger. I mean, he seems, yeah. he seems like he's still got a, a long way to go in his career, you know. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I also like him doing all the variants because then you really see the difference between the different Jokers. Uh-huh. Where if you had other artists doing it, you, I don't think you'd get the idea that they're different people. Yeah. You just think it was different artists drawing the same guy. Yeah, they look inherently different because more than one person would just have different styles. Mm-hmm. But when you give him, the same artist, the ability to tweak the outfits or, you know... If, if, Wrinkles, if, if, facial structure. Exactly. Like, if it was to be modeled after somebody or if you were even to be like, okay, Fabok, now you need to do your version of sales Joker or something so it would still retain like all of your qualities and sensibilities but then you know draw out the chin or something like this this is like more a ball teeth. yeah more <laughs> teeth this is like a ball and chin or something um I, I think that that's very cool because you do get to see either you would make it look like the same dude which just kind of lends to the whole like anonymity in this there's multiple you don't really know who's who you could either make them look all the same and just tweak outfits and haircuts and stuff, or you could subtly change facial structure and just drive that home extra. And it just shows that level of skill and diversity on the part of the artist to be able to, because generally if you were to tell anybody to, to draw like Bugs Bunny, it would just be Bugs Bunny every time. But to have to like willfully alter certain things and to be able to do it at will because you're going to have to draw these like very similar looking characters many many times throughout this comic book yeah don't get that confused having one artist draw each of us versus having a different artist draw each of us they just think it was the same person yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> a bald white guy yeah okay i don't have glasses that's it's evan that's the tell we can have those. We can have those yeah okay problems. yeah i could wear glasses to fool everyone well yeah and speaking to uh evan's question about pacing and and his timeline this 
was done ages ago. And in that period of time, it was much like, Ev, you and I, when we made Death of a Salesman, that was a much different album two, three years earlier than when it finally wow. came out because he would go through and actually redraw panels in here or redraw pages and make improvements as it was kind of in waiting. And so huh. all these covers came way after all this shit was actually done. And so it was sort of like, you're ready to release your baby into the world. And then it's like, okay, let's give it a proper send off, you know? And, and this was sort of the end of the process was, you know, him doing all these covers after the fact. So, I mean, it's just a, from issue one all the way through all of these changes and supposedly it had a different conclusion as well. But, but yeah, I mean, just start to finish. He's done some amazing work here and we're going to talk a lot about the artwork, I'm sure, but uh, I want to dig into the story. The spoiler premise, this is season two, so if you're new to the show, we uh, freely talk about spoilers, and a lot of times these are old stories, so it doesn't matter, but this is new. I tried very hard to avoid spoilers on my own and got these issues as soon as they came out. So um, if you're worried about spoilers skip to the four hour mark when we're wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the spoiler premise, best way I could sum it up is that the Joker has been infecting people as a way to attempt creating a better Joker. That's the quote. So in the beginning, we have this killing joke homage, these nine panels of the Batmobile pulling up in the rain to Wayne Manor and accidentally crashing through his own parents' gravestone, which if we know anything about Batman, it's how seriously he would take something like that. Mm. I thought you were going to say how seriously he takes gravestones. Yeah. Well, hey, it's a lot of famous uh, panels of him kneeling or, you know. Losing his mind. Yeah, yeah, talking to his parents' gravestone. Alfred says that he'll fix it, and I was like, how good is this guy at at everything? <laughs> one, how do you how do you fix a gravestone? And two, like the alternative is to just like hand chisel a new gravestone. Alfred, yeah, that's what he means. That's what he's gonna go to. Yeah, yeah. But fair enough. I I didn't doubt it. I was like, wow. Never cease to be impressed. Now this to me is one of the greatest openings ever. I mean, this is not the drone breaking out the arsenal in the beginning of nightfall you start reading it and you're like oh my god this is a like a once in a lifetime kind of mastery here it pulls your attention in right away it doesn't waste any time yeah uh-huh. the alex ross scars homage you know alfred's cleaning him up rip off the bat suit and it's showing his scars but what they do here by zooming in on a specific scar and then transporting you back to his memory of that with a black and white versus the color through multiple pages going and showing each of these injuries from everybody in the rogues gallery. It's just one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's stunning. I didn't think about it until just now, but when I was reading it the first time, I swear that Every scar and every attack is a separate person. You know, say it goes from Catwoman to Penguin and so on. But 
I swear that there is like three panels worth of injuries dedicated to the Joker. And that's weird to have him have so many. But given the conclusion, maybe those are all three of the different Jokers giving him separate scars. And that's why they get three, because it's actually technically three different people. And that's funny because even though that's the fucking title and you sort of know what you're getting into, that Uh didn't occur to me. It occurred to me as being like, but he's the one who keeps coming back. He's the worst one. And so that's, that's why they I showed thought. it three times. But you're right. Well, I think it's both. Yeah. And I didn't appreciate that until you just said it. The idea that it didn't even occur to me. Three guys. Exactly. All I noticed was that's what I took from it. Sam was like, oh, he's just been scarred by this dude more than any of the other characters. But now that I know what I know, I think that it, it was each one of them individually giving him a separate scar. It's a little on the nose, but I'll allow it because it's such a cool Yeah, but I know, but if you don't know it, then it seems it's like a thing to notice, but you don't know what it means, though. Well, and again, is it really if I've read it three times and didn't notice it? <laughs> you know, I'm like, uh, yeah. I mean. Yeah, you're incredibly smart. <laughs> Shut up, Evan. <laughs> Good joke. <laughs> I, um. I had another thought when looking at that when this is this is like the Frank Miller Batman like anyone who sees him walking down the street it's like oh that's Batman <laughs> that huge guy and it's the same anyone who would ever see him with his shirt off I mean you'd think of it anyway but especially in this like would just immediately go oh you're Batman but you know like, Playboy Bruce Wayne in this world he gets the ladies but he only takes the pants off everything <laughs> else stays on yeah oh no, my God. No, if that upper torso is anything to go by, his entire lower half is all covered <laughs> yeah. scars. From toes up to dick, it's just all Okay, scars. okay, fine. He's like, you know what? Just the zipper. Only, you can only take the zipper. Yeah. I, I keep my clothes on. Fully pants, fully shirted. <laughs> Does he just never go to the beach? Does he just never, ever shirtless in front of anybody? It's Gotham. Or he wears like a full body pajama bathing suit. Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah. he always wears a wetsuit. No one's swimming uh, at the beach in Gotham. Or even his neck. Anyone, like, if he's wearing just regular clothes, he's got, like, gunshot wounds in his neck and, like, burns and knife scars. He wears I mean, a lot of be- turtlenecks in the summer, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> Gross. It is Gotham, but Bale's Batman takes cruises with Russian ballet members. You know, I imagine that he is shirtless around some water sometime. What does he do? It's uh, rock climbing accidents. Just yeah, so many. Accidents. Terrible at this. It actually made me think, though, that similar to what Ben said, that his pants are made from a similar material as his shirt, and he's incurring all these injuries whilst wearing a shirt, so he probably has just as many scars on his legs. And then it made me think, how different is his helmet or his cowl that somehow his face has managed to not be incredibly scarred because <laughs> it's like the one part doesn't make a lot of sense. Fully exposed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somehow his cowl actually is super protective, but that just means the window that shows the underside of his nose and his mouth is just so fucked up. It's like a perfectly little window templated area of scars and, burns <laughs> yeah. and knife wounds. Yep. They just randomly start mid cheek and go to the other side. That's what I would like to see. I want to see somebody draw Batman. Like I want to see his face. If it was realistic, like with totally. all the scars and wounds, Bermejo's on the case. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody put some divots on that man. He needs craters. Now, speaking of the cowl, this is sort of off subject, but can we not do that this year? Can we <laughs> stick to the point. <laughs> 
Yeah, New Year's Bat Fan Resolution. Wow. I had a Less ba- divergent thoughts. I had a Batman question, but all right, fine. Keep it oh, to dick stuff. On. I want dick stuff. <laughs> uh, nitpicking scars, things like that. It's the what old. the fans want. Yeah. <laughs> the five-star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> the Dick Fanatic <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, sincerely though, I want to ask because you know I grew up on Keaton and Conroy, right? And in more recent years, in particular, the mouth opening on the cowl has this extra point that goes back up on the cheekbone, kind of pointing yeah. towards the ear. And I've always thought that was really strange, and yet it's ubiquitous nowadays. It's almost every time you see the cowl. It has this extra point. It's not just a half circle. Um, uh-huh. What is the, I mean, I don't know if you guys have observed this or had any thoughts on it. What's the intent? Well, I think it's supposed to be almost like armor. Each of those is like a little panel that's stuck to his cheeks. So you know how like your your cheekbone goes back like that. Yeah. So it'd be a panel that sits like this. And then the upper half of the cow is a separate piece. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's for movement or like maybe that's reinforced or something like that. Mm. But it's it's more in line with the bones of the face. I think that little wedge shape is probably kind of a stylistic thing just to differentiate from like, whereas Wolverines, I think just kind of goes back and then down. Yeah. Uh, But I think that the little slice kind of differentiates it, but we have seen in this and with Frank's in a couple other spots where they'll actually draw, like if there was a, uh, a line under the nose where the mask stops and then it kind of goes straight back towards like the bottom of the ear. Mm -hmm. It's as if kind of what Ben is saying where like the cheeks would be like a separately hinged thing in the same way that your jaw isn't really your skull. It's just hinged by your ears. And then, then the top of the head piece would overlap that slightly. And so they kind of create a line to show that it's two separate pieces rather than just like a single towel cape with eyes and mouth holes yeah spandex with the bottom cut off yeah if you think about anatomy then what overlaps what and that's how things have been in the more realistic versions lately where there's separate abdominal covers and like plates for everything exactly like yeah. pec plates and shoulder plates and stuff and so it seems like a coverage slash mobility thing word so back into this uh opening segment we do the Crime Alley flashback, which is not really necessary. I disagree with you. But I was going to say, but. I need an origin story. Visually, the way that this book opens, trying to make a mark against all these other iconic stories that it's drawing from, I feel like it is appropriate in this to give us that. I think it fits perfect. And as much as I've complained about, like, we all know his backstory. We don't need to see it for yeah. its own sake. Yeah. But I think it fits here because just before it, we're seeing all these physical scars and him remembering it, kind of like, like he's getting more, more and more pissed and then especially focusing on the multiple times with the Joker and it's zooming in on his face. But then having that scene play out and now it's multiple pages showing that that's, again, like the biggest scar of all. Yeah, what I do like... burned by the Riddler and all that. This, that's his scar. That's the real scar. Well, the way uh-huh. that they come out of that kind of memory in his head is you hear Alfred saying, this wound is deeper than the others. It's going to leave another scar, not that you'd notice. And so 
as he's seeing the psychological trauma again, they're just underscoring like, but yeah, this is worse than any gunshot or stab that he's suffered since. Yeah. That would play out well in a movie too. If you could kind of show that he was thinking this stuff in his head while, while being treated or whatever. And then, kind of like waking up for a dream, then Alfred's voice is like the overlapping thing that's kind of like pulling him back to reality. I think that would extra drive that home. Yeah. And not to mention Joe Chill's role in this story anyways. So maybe less about his origin, but more about the fact that it was Joe Chill and he's going to show up later. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. And because it's not so relevant in the first issue, but Uh as a contained story, definitely comes back. Well, I don't even know at this point, because this is this year, last year, is Joe Chill, are we back to Joe Chill being the canon? Because for a long time, it was just random guy. They undid the Joe Chill thing, and it was just random thing, and he'll never find out who did it. I mean, the Black Label stuff, I think they can just kind of do what they want to do. You know, it's not, Mm -hmm. this isn't like issue 91 of Batman or whatever. This is just its own thing. Yeah, so but it's clearly drawing from a specific point in continuity. For sure, but again, like Killing Joke was considered Elseworlds until they started writing Oracle and shit, you know? Like, people uh, just liked it so much that it became, you know, retroactively part of the canon. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> that's a big... I, I couldn't get further. Yeah, Actually, you put I it down. the rest of this book, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to... Before we move on later on, you definitely do have things that are that are real, either killing joke related or killing joke homage. But I like that in those um, battle flashbacks, it's pretty much a gray tone with a random splash of color. Yeah. Um, similar to the to the killing joke flashback scenes. Well, and also the splash pages from Long Halloween and uh, mm-hmm. Dark Victory. Totally. I think that the way they introduced Bruce here with the scars and the flashbacks really sets the tone well, and it's sort of a a scene stealer a little bit, but they actually apply this to each of the characters as they're introduced because we get Barbara burning up a treadmill at the gym when she <laughs> hears this... Uh, story on the news that joker killed the moxon crime family and it's showing pictures of the joker she's running harder and harder and harder and fucking thing fries and you hear this guy like oh, she killed another one <laughs> you know? and it shows her in the shower with the bullet scar you know on her midriff and she's going through her own recollection of the killing joke and then we cut to jason fucking up a bunch of goons and as his helmet comes off and he starts taking blows to the head, he is reliving his own trauma as well. And Uh so this is every character dealing with their unresolved trauma. And the Joker. Yeah, Uh exactly. The way that this whole thing opens up again, I can't say enough good things about it. The way fight, I just think that we need special mention for the amount of mouth horror. Yeah. Like every kid, something <laughs> yeah, yeah. happening to someone's yeah. mouth. Yeah, that, that is some real um, like preacher stuff right there. Yeah. Or like Judge Dredd or something where every somehow every punch just 
produces like a gallon of blood. <laughs> Shatters um, every hinge. And- yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, your face is just waiting to blow up. Uh, well, plus that forearm injury with the, uh, with the snapping the dude's forearm is brutal. Mm. And the way that he, that Fabok draws Joker in those crowbar flashback panels, like his eyes look so crazy. It is so good. Yeah. He well, looks mental. It's great because they're not unlike the original. It's still, it's still yeah. the way the panels are laid out. It's very similar, but yeah. again, it's much more realistic. It's much more psychotic and less cartoony. Yeah. Well, like the eyes of the a death in the family Joker, but then also the eyes in the killing joke Joker. Anytime you see that, the comedian version where his it's just like little points of light. Yeah. Yeah. The shadow. Mm-hmm. That's like that's the creepiest thing in this whole book. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like uh, in the '90s, like Wes Borland from uh, Limp Biscuit had bl- black <laughs> full yeah. eye contacts. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, whoa, what the fuck is with this guy? <laughs> that was the model for this Joker. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny too, because the tiny beady eyes usually exist on the Killing Joke Joker. Uh, also to be juxtaposed by like a Hawaiian shirt. Like he's the scariest <laughs> yeah. in the face, but the funnest in the t-shirt. <laughs> so we got Joker live streamed a murder of a comedian who used to go by Fat Man. We have that at the same time as the Moxon crime family hit. And then three bodies at Ace Chemicals with the Red Hood, Tux, and Helmet. So Joker committed all three crimes at the same time because they each had witnesses in some way. You are getting a guy who's staring directly into the security cameras. He's doing a live stream. He's leaving eyewitnesses on the scene at the other one. And then the chemical vats are sucked dry and their transport trucks are missing. So this is kind of the, the jump off for the whole shit of like, all right, well, what are we seeing? Are we looking at imposters, copycats? What the fuck is going on? Some kind of exciting dimensional power joker, maybe? Yeah, time travel, <laughs> clone technology. When I first read book one, you know, it has this, tremendous beginning but then at this point you're like okay what the fuck is happening as cool it is as it is to look at when it just ends not long after this you're sort of left for a month just going well that was cool but what the fuck is happening (laughs) you know um we were you reading this as it came out yeah Uh. i love it so much more as a contained story because there are no real easy answers in the first half of this story. You know, it doesn't really quite make sense for a while. Yeah. I mean, I was left a little bit like, how are they going to rationalize this? Yeah. And it was satisfying, but it's, it is strange. As you have said before about the black label stuff, overall, I do prefer them both because they, they don't have to, exists within like a month-to-month structure, mm-hmm. but just because it lets the creator do stuff that would be hard to get away with in mainstream, both mm-hmm. story-wise, but also like content-wise, it can be much more violent and they can swear and things like that. Yeah. 
I never disliked the Joker more than when he swerved to hit that raccoon with a semi truck. <laughs> Not all you the could, other terrible stuff. <laughs> no, you can beat all the Jason Todds you want. Don't you dare try to hit that raccoon. Yeah, you can murder children, but animals. Leave that raccoon yeah. alone. I appreciate that. I respect that, Evan. I like that when they're on the scene with the three Red Hood victims, Batman and Batgirl have this sort of like, we were just talking to your dad. Does he know what the fuck's going on? And she kind of blows it off like, no. No. And uh, I like this. Our next episode is going to be a Batgirl episode from the animated series. And so I, I, I like that little tie in of the, um, Barbara and Jim Gordon stuff, you know, that we have going on here. Well, yeah, I think Batgirl is probably my favorite Batman protege, maybe the least like important, but just my favorite. Yeah. Uh It's just an inherently interesting conflict of interest, you know, Uh the next part is where I start to get, Confused, Because here now we have a big question of like, okay, what the fuck's going on? But then when we start to see two Jokers in a room together, I'm focusing really hard to figure out who the fuck is what. And, you know, in my head, you sort of have character voices. I have the Mark Hamill in my head, but now I have two Mark Hamills in my head. And so I'm trying to decide as a reader, do I need to make a directorial creative choice and give one of them a different voice. So I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know. That shit was weird to me. What would you guys think about when they first show up? And he's like, hey, you're wearing my shirt. And he's like, hey, you're taking credit for shit you didn't do. And, you know, it's like, what the fuck is going on here? That's, that's the most like, like Evan, is this cloning technology? What, what nonsense is going to justify this? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I tend to not just not be affected by stuff certainly i i guess because i oh you're real cool (laughs) i just evan's like wait there are words in this i was just looking at the pictures (laughs) yeah yeah they talk to each other (laughs) um because i've I've already just suspended all belief you know there's never a point in which i'm trying to uh, to make this work in the real world so i'm just waiting for them to give me an answer all the time i, I just breeze through it because i'm like yeah totally standard this crap happens all the time <laughs> by the time i get done with it it'll make sense here is where jason emerges as the detective of this series because they are constantly kind of one step behind him in this story jason follows a lead to the aquarium Batman says that these jokerized people, whoever they're looking at, they're not regular victims, that they appear to have motives and be in control of what they're doing. And so he's asking the two of them on his team here to not assume we're up against anything we've seen before. And now is when a bunch of old school, really old school Joker goons walk in with fucking name tags and everything. Uh Uh-huh. Do you know what Gaggy is from? Like, how far back is that? Is that like 70s I shit? I don't know who that dude is at That's all. It's probably like 140 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Batman comic. Yeah. He, he's actually an original Batman protege, and they, uh, they trashed him and turned him into a villain. Yeah. <laughs> that line that you just quoted, Sam, where he's like, expect the unexpected, and then the next thing is a clown shark in a tank. Like, oh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was a moment. 
Well, again, you probably didn't care because you're like, whatever, none of this is real. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't think fish have the right muscles to smile. I don't care what you poison <laughs> them with. I don't, think, just, I don't think they can make those faces. Don't bring your reality into this, Ben. I don't care about that. I'm glad we didn't watch the Laughing Fish episode of the show then, man. Yeah, I wouldn't. Don't. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, I actually think... It looks cool. The shark looks red. But. Yeah. yeah. I think that shit looks great, and particularly when... Jason shoots out the glass, and the shark just lands right on Gaggy and eats him in one motion. <laughs> that is fucking awesome. Amazing panel. I liked, as I was reading it, thinking that a shark is so concerned with its like predatory nature that as is freed from this tank and probably going to die, what it really needs to do, though, still is just swallow that short person. <laughs> <laughs> you never know when your next meal is going to be. So yeah, that's yeah. True. You know, they'll be like, at least he died doing what he loved, you know. Yeah. Uh, go big. Hey, smile on his face and a full belly. So the real-time divergence of multiple jokers, right, comes in really handy right here because this issue would not end this way with Batman in the room. And so Joker is easily captured and then Gordon calls and says, yo, we got one. And he's like, all right, I'll leave you two with this guy. And uh, I'll go see what the fuck's going on with Gordon. Don't kill him. Yeah. Whatever you do. And <laughs> don't shoot this man. Wow. This scene is fantastic where the fucking Joker is taunting him, reliving that horrible beating and this is the great thing about the way this story gives references to other things. It's not just in a look how cool this is, remember this sort of thing. It's in a we're going to actually add depth of the story, you know. And uh -huh. so he says, like, do you remember what you said? You said, I'll do anything. I'll be your Robin, right? Uh -huh. And he's like, look at you walking around, shooting people, breaking jaws, like, you are my, my Robin. Mask. Yeah, uh -huh. exactly. With my old mask. Like, you are my Robin. And I was like... It, it's I've a, never thought about this. It's as if time. that had been planned the whole fucking time. You know, it was like, uh -huh. how are you just coming up with this now? Jesus Christ. This is yeah. another one of those scenarios where that's so... You know, here we are totally taken aback by this thing. But a person who works in the industry and also a fan was so familiar with the mythos and stuff that that this is what they decided to add to it. Like, that's so cool to me. Yeah. That they're like, oh, you know, that they read stuff and they're not just fanboying it. They're also like, what, what extra cool smart thing could I add to this? It's in there in the original Red Hood story mm -hmm. at the end where when they have the confrontation with Joker and he's like, I made you. It's like, we both made you. You're as much uh -huh. from me as you are from Batman. But yeah, it's just a slightly different spin on it, a little more in depth. Yeah. Or even the... um the added dialogue, you know, he says, he says that you said this while I was beating you, but that never existed in death in the family. And so it's kind of cool. Cause it makes you, it makes it feel like a, like a behind the scenes or something. The comic book only showed us X, but he but was there, there was actually. Yeah, exactly. But there was other stuff. They, they shared words. He hit him even more times than we saw and stuff. And so like, we didn't get the whole picture the first time. And I think that we talk a lot about the artwork in this story. And 
as we get further on, there might be some criticism of the story, but Jeff Johns, I mean, has given us a lot of gems already in this first issue. Uh And I I want to acknowledge that because we loved his work on Earth One. I just uh, finished his uh, sequel to uh, Shazam. I mean, the dude, when he's on point, is untouchable. You know, I really, really love the way that all these characters are motivated by those central traumas and driven to make all of their decisions in this whole run based on those things and seeing it all come full circle simultaneously is, is really something special. Yeah. I guess I'd say elevates those classic Batman stories, Mm -hmm. but still does something interesting on its own and original. Uh Yeah. As I was reading this stuff, the panel where the Joker gets shot is graphic and it's a standout, you know, they're showing us a lot. This isn't standard Batman. There's a, straight up bullet exiting this man's head and Fabok is so consistent in his panels per page. Like it's a lot of mini rectangles that make a grid and the spacing is consistent. The borders themselves are consistent. There's not dynamic panels with angles. It's just a lot of squares and rectangles. This panel is the only panel in the entire comic where the image breaks the border of the panel itself, which makes it a real standout on its own already. But it's just kind of cool that, everything otherwise looks so clean and evenly spaced. And it's like a pattern that I can depend on and be familiar with and stuff. And so that it's just, this one is different. It's really cool. It just really stuck out to me. Yeah. As someone who doesn't always notice those types of things, just the shot composition, the way the panels are laid out in this first issue in particularly really did catch my attention as like, this Uh is artfully done. Well, there's a lot to that. That's the traditional comics like layout structure of we're going to combine the top three for one uh-huh. to either give you a sense of movement or a sense of importance. It's just like, there's a real purpose to it uh-huh. besides just like, Oh, I want to say nine different things in this shot or, but this thing's big. Let's just make it big. It's like, it's there for a reason. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. It's, it's using it with intent. Totally. So the end of this first book, Jason loses it, shoots this Joker in the head Barbara tries to stop him and Jason accuses her of saying, well, when's the last time you missed, right? You know, like you, uh-huh. you let this happen too. you know, then the great, if he really is the Joker's Robin ending with the line, I hope that's the right one. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's pretty good. For sure. There's the couple panels with the fly and you don't know that it's like a fly's eyeballs at first, but you're getting like multiple Joker faces and then even more Joker faces, yeah. in like hexagon shapes or whatever. I just thought that that was very creative. Yeah, I like watching bugs on a dead guy. Is that there? Oh. Or is that the beginning of the next one? Maybe it's the beginning of the next one. Yeah, I think that's later. Because he's revisit. Yeah, okay, they're revisiting. Did you even read this book? <laughs> uh, no, I'm reading it right now. I, God. So book two opens with something that Black Label does very well, and that is getting into kind of the psychology of these characters. It's something that we've seen in Three Jokers, in Harleen, in Killer Smile. You know, when you kind of try to peel back the layers and see what's going on in these people's heads. So it opens with the comedian, Joker, is having dinner by his clearly tormented and abused wife and child who can't stand to be near the guy and are terrified of him. 
And then the other Joker comes in, the criminal, and is like touching the mannequin that he's sitting with at his table. Uh That this scene that we thought was a, a horrible flashback from his origins or something was actually his fantasy. That's his delusional fantasy. Yeah. It's a bad experience. It's like, I don't just wish I had my own family, but I wish I had some people I could really hurt forever, you know? <laughs> they will be tormented. They will fear me. Yeah, it was just perfect. And it, it's one of those things that, in an unrealistic story, gives you some grounded, crazy person <laughs> shit <laughs> to kind of remind you of just how sick these guys are. Uh-huh. I mean, that mannequin isn't even a robot. I don't get what's hot about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got no flesh to pick off. <laughs> now, what Evan was talking about was the segue here, where we show the clown dead. He has the flies on his face. And then we hear the the cops in the next scene, you know, because it'll give you like the speech bubble segue into the next thing, kind of like when Bruce was... Uh, reliving his parents' murder, and Alfred is in the physical room saying that's, that's going to be a deep scar, right? We have one of the cops on the next page saying, is it the real Joker? As we're looking at the dead Joker from book one. Uh-huh. So again, setting you up with the questions of like, what the fuck's going on? We're not just uh, looking at the dead Joker, we're looking at like part of his brains. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty grotesque. And the next victim is a corrupt judge who Batman says was responsible for Arkham's revolving door. And he was eaten by his own Jokerized dogs. Only Ben would know this, but I made a note that those dogs reminded me of the like possessed dogs in Berserk. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of Ghostbusters. Oh, you know, those things chasing Rick Moranis. Oh, the statue creatures? Yeah. You haven't seen okay. Ghostbusters where Bill Murray keeps reliving the same day over and over? <laughs> it's a classic comedy film. The Christmas story? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> His tongue gets stuck to the pole and then they have to pull him off. <laughs> With the multiple ghosts and the triple dog dare? Yeah. I remember that. They have the blue and the orange suits? No, it's the sunglasses and the suits and then they sing blues music. Oh. Was that a sequel? <laughs> Yeah, it was the one where he has to go back to elementary school to inherit his dad's fortune. Yeah, yeah, my favorite Bill Murray movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Barbara shows up where Gordon and Batman are looking at this judge. And Barbara's like, we've got a fucking problem, right? And she is shocked that the moral absolutist here, Batman, is not reacting to the fact that Jason shot a prisoner in the face. Well, we have two more. It's not like he killed our only Joker. Yeah, but with it's his right. <laughs> with his staunch no-killing rules, she's like, how do I break this to him? Because he's going to flip out. And then she says it, and he's like, yeah, we don't have time for that. She's like, what, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck are you talking about? Yeah, Batman, up, Bat. No, because Batman's like, I don't even know. These could all be the same person. So he just killed one-third of a dude, which... Batman basically does that all the time, but he names people and cripples them. Yeah, clone like, life yeah. isn't like clone life anyways. Those are that's artificial. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, snitches get stitches, Babs, so shut your pie hole. Wow. Wow. Rat on. 
you're going to have to be a Robin now. I'm going to take away your bad ears, and now you have to yeah. wear the red tights. Well, what I like here is that they're as they're talking about it, and she's trying to kind of probe him to justify his response. Mm. He says, "Like I was hoping that that trauma would have made him stronger." like I saw in you. I was hoping he was more like you. I saw how you bounced back. And so I was a little more hands off with him, letting him just go through what he needed to go through because I had seen you emerge so strong from it, which is totally misguided, but you, you could get it, you know? And, uh, I thought that that was a, a powerful kind of revelation as to their relationship. Well, and again, cause you don't really know, I mean, so this is after Red Hood has come back and after everyone knows who Red Hood is. Yeah. We don't know like what point in real canon continuity they're pulling this from. So he could he could have been back not that long because they're still basically fairly young. He's not like 40 or something. Yeah. But that's one of my favorite things in this story and in other Batman stories. And it's kind of the same like with his relationship with Catwoman. But like killing people is like his big line that he doesn't cross and he just thinks it's terrible and he'll never do it but like he gives these other people passes yeah. to do things that at the very least he thinks they should go to jail for or be punished for but he gives these people passes yeah. because of his relationship with them I just think that's, that's interesting for the character yeah definitely it's like a low key low five for doing the stuff that he wants to do but won't do himself I mean he explains it in a Batman chess move sort of way of like oh okay so you want to go after him and turn him in okay well who witnessed it because he's not going to confess well you witnessed Uh it but you're in a mask so you're going to have to testify in order to convict him therefore you would have to unmask therefore everyone would know who he is who you are and now who the fuck i am and this whole shit's over so i mean i get it batman he could just like keep it locked in a cage (laughs) in the cave forever i mean he's a visual handy he does what he wants yeah he could flip out the fact that he doesn't, that he, that's just, I think that's interesting for the character. That his guilt over what happened to Jason and just all that stuff. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. I like that what Sam was just talking about, that he's either instantly thought it, about it or he's already thought about it. Like, Jason could kill somebody at any point. And uh, so he's already thought about how that might play out if it ever had to like go to court and go through the legal system and like, oh, balls. It wouldn't be just as simple as coaching him again or something. That would mean facing his failure all the time, and that would be difficult. Well, and on top of that, if we continue with this revelation from book one, if you're thinking of Jason as the Joker's Robin the fact that he is bat family and he uses lethal force batman can't stop him short of killing him or something or pulling the pin that knocks down the whole house of cards or he builds a cool cage in the bat cave and but, keeps it forever well, but, yeah sure but what i'm saying is like much like the joker there's nothing he can do that isn't some absolute line he wouldn't cross that can stop him because he still has this guilt and this awkward relationship and again all of his knowledge about everyone else and how they operate so like he is the joker's robin in more ways than Uh one he can't just stop him and put him in his place it's like they're stuck in this cyclical trap 
to which the only actual resolution is like the death of that person. Yeah. And it's like a, like a kid who, who gets old enough and then talks back to their parent. Like eventually the parent has to be like, what can I actually do to enforce anything? Yeah. We've, we've come to an impasse and there's nothing that I can actually do short of building a really cool cage for him to hang out <laughs> in for eternity or murder. <laughs> I just watched the Borat sequel again, where he's like buying a cage for his daughter and he asked the guy how much the cage is. And he's like, oh, it's $900. And he's like, oh, that's too much money. And the girl's like begging, like, oh, please, daddy, please, please, please. He's like, uh, you know, girls, like, uh, okay, you can have it. How many women could you fit in this cage? Yeah. <laughs> Here's where we get some trifecta shit for a detective. Batman goes to Joe Chill because his fingerprints were found at the judge's murder scene right but chill's cell is empty and we have this great scene where batman is standing in front of his cell before he knows he's not there he actually has like a lump in his throat and he's like you know what <clears throat> you know why i'm here you know whatever. Uh -huh. and well, so yeah he wasn't using the batman voice yet because he was so caught up in that moment yeah i i really liked that and just shows how rattled he still is and then of course the reveal that chill isn't there he's down in the medical ward you know he's on a ventilator and so however his prince got there it wasn't him i liked that scene a lot with him uh, going through the lines <laughs> but i also imagined him to be standing at the bars of the cell when he's reciting those lines to himself. And I just thought if anybody was in the cell, they would hear you repeating that to yourself <laughs> multiple times. Are you, are you, you can't to rehearse me? in front of, yeah, yeah. What's up? <laughs> Why do you say it twice? No, I don't think he was rehearsing. I think he was trying to, and, you know, emotionally couldn't bring himself, himself to say guard. it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I know, but I took it like you wouldn't <laughs> greet somebody else twice before the person said something. And that's how it, Hi, hello. <laughs> when do I get to talk to Batman? I, I bet you're probably, I, you're wondering why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason uh, does more detective shit here. We have him, and this is a little bit of a stretch, but he's interrogating some goons and his helmet picks up this chemical that's found in pool cleaner. So he goes to the public pool which, again, whatever. It's a small city. They only have one. It's fine. Yeah. But when he gets there, and it's like this army of the dead shit where you've got a whole pool full of Joker victims who swarm you asking for help. Uh -huh. Man, that is great. They sneak up behind him and knock him out. And then we have this naked James Bond strapped to a chair moment where... The criminal and the comedian are there together. This fucking line, I'll let you in on a secret, like a Joker secret. It hurts when I laugh because he's like uh -huh. kind of got tears in his eyes when he's laughing. He's oh, my God. Normally not. That's so good. Uh -huh. This whole scene, he's saying, I left you with trauma so severe that the only relief you ever find is when you inflict pain on others. 
and basically just trying to, you know, Empire Strikes Back him, you know, trying to flip him to the dark side here and, and saying like... What is that from? I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt. Can you see it? That's the thing with Captain Picard. And, um, yeah. So. Star Wars The Next Generation? Yeah, yeah. Professor X. Okay, yes, yes. So Jason blames Batman for what happened to him. They're like, well, you hate me, but you hate Batman most of all, don't you? Uh-huh. And you know what? Batman needs a better Joker, and we're going to make you the better Joker. Commence more crowbar beating and fade to red, which the evolution of that page is its awful, but it's beautiful at the same time. Well, and, and his answer to when they say, like, well, why would you even, why would you wear the red hood yeah. after what I did? He was like, yeah. because it's a joke. Yeah. So I did that to him. It's like in that same thought process of like a fucked up joke. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why I'll be Red Hood. Uh-huh. And I like the uh, the inclusion of the Joker smile on the the helmet. Was that there yeah. at that time or was that uh, only noticed when they come I, back to I find him? I'm just saying yeah, things out of order. That's when they put it on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's after he's taken the helmet off and they did that. Whew, yeah. That was cool. on that one. <laughs> that's, <laughs> Shut up. that's when the um like the Heath Ledger criminal Joker yeah. puts on the hat and then it has the, the beady point of light eyes too. Mm-hmm. there's an amazing uh, shot of when they arrive and Batgirl kicks open the doors and rushes in there's this big shot of her just forcing her way into the room and then all those motherfuckers from the pool start climbing on and we have this awesome shot where one of them grabs onto Batman's belt and he's like duck and the fucking Batmobile comes driving uh-huh. through the wall probably killed a lot of people doing that maybe but it was maybe there but That's yeah well yeah he didn't do it yeah. um there's one panel where they're kind of standing it's sort of overhead and they're standing in the middle of the room and they're they're being surrounded by all these joker zombies um and i was like I was searching for dicks in the crowd. I was, I was, I was, I was zooming in, and I was like, "Man, I wonder if they snuck a wiener in here anywhere." Did that? Uh, did that? Was that the unrealistic thing that took you out of it? Uh, yeah, like there can't be no penises. It doesn't make any sense. Evans like <laughs> so the dude reading Watchmen, going like, "Ooh, this Doctor Manhattan's dick." Uh, so. Oh they, no! They the all... phone froze while you were laughing. I missed my reaction. Oh, all the wieners are cleverly hidden in shadows, and like, ah, that's a shame. Um, <laughs> and you put—that's why you haven't finished it because you put the book down. Yeah, I was like, yeah, what is this trash? Why does it have me read this garbage? Uh, and then where the Batmobile goes through the wall, and everything is getting flown forward, it's a lot less shaded. But you have all these zombie folks getting flung around, and what he uses in that part rather than the shadow <laughs> is like. There's well placed like rock rubble, rubble. and, de- and yeah. debris, like debris floating in front of their jokes to also block out the <laughs> It's hilarious. Like, man, I was it's three jokers. I was hoping to get at least three penises in this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a strange one, Ev. What do I even read comic books for? Season two of the Bat Fan Attic podcast, one star, too much penis. It's yeah, yeah. Off to a bad start, guys. <laughs> for me, for the reading. Wow. Yeah, Evan's going to be at the end and be like, yeah, this one was torture to get through as well, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just glad that it was way shorter than some of the other stuff. So Jason is found in the back room, badly beaten. His helmet's all cracked and fucked up. Batman asks him, is he all right? 
And Jason's just like, am I all right? What do you fucking think? So Pat was like, well, I don't know. I mean, if this happened to me, I would be very calm and quiet. I would just keep it to myself. Yeah. yeah. Never talk to anyone. I love a good crowbar massage. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. So Barbara kind of comforts him, takes him back to her place. There's this amazing dialogue where he snoops around a little bit and sees that she kept her old physical therapy planner and these books about, you know, dealing with chronic pain and her wheelchair and all this stuff. And he's like, you know, why did you, why'd you keep all this stuff? And, and she starts talking about how with her dad and her doctor and people that cared about her, she was able to get stronger. There's this great juxtaposition of, he just goes, yeah, I never got any of that. Like, well, yeah, no shit. Cause you were on your own. We didn't know you were alive. And uh-huh. so he has all this resentment of like, well, nobody's fucking there for me. No one was helping me out. And she has to kind of be the reality check of like, you think we wouldn't want that more than anything? Uh-huh. Like, I'm here for you now. We're here for you today. But like, you were gone. We thought we, uh-huh. we missed our chance, you know? And also for him to see that it's like she basically went through the same thing. Yes. From uh-huh. the same person. There's a slight difference where, like, Joker, when, what Joker did to her was more to get a Commissioner Gordon. Because yeah. I think you could argue that he didn't know she was Batgirl. I mean, in this, it's like, who knows? Yeah, he knows everything. But he did Jason to get to Bruce, so. Batman. Batman. It was a function of being a sidekick to Batman and the Batman thing where. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the Commissioner Gordon thing was also to get a Batman, too, because everything's to get a Batman. Well, yeah, but I mean, he's, but, he's getting at Barbara to get at Gordon. He's getting at Jason to get at. Batman. So, I mean, it, this is similar. Yeah, but Barbara's not like, I hate you, Dad. It's all your fault. <laughs> you uh-huh. treated the Joker better. Well, yeah, that, that's the difference. That's the difference is yeah. how they bounce back. But I like it for him, again, tying their two stories together. Because, like, reading The Killing Joke and reading Death in the Family, I didn't, like, there's no connection between them for obvious reasons because they're written by different people in different times. Yeah. But, but just connecting their stories in that way and for the character of Jason Todd looking like oh well if anyone's going to understand me it's her Mm -hmm. Uh yeah understand how I feel understand all that the recovery all that she gets it yeah maybe I shouldn't be such a dick to her because it's she wants (laughs) the same thing yeah Uh I really like the way that they connected these two characters as we get to the end of book two this is where I started to be like uh, okay this this ending does not hit me as hard as the first one. Keep in mind, I, I had to wait a month after this to read the next page. You have the criminal kidnapping Joe Chill and puts a camera in his face and says, so why did you really kill the Waynes? And I was like, man, that's what you're going to leave me. I, like, I don't know. It was sort of like a Curse of the White Knight thing of like, that's the big mic drop at the end. Like, Oh, get ready for next issue. Joe Chill, your favorite Batman thing. Yeah, I don't know. It was just like, it, it kind of fell flat for me. But again, in a continuous story, as I was reading it, I didn't have that feeling because I didn't have 30 days in between <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> where that's the last taste in my mouth, you know. But I just like that Batman has a manila folder with missing clowns and huge clowns on it. That's neat. <laughs> cold cases. <laughs> Where's that missing clowns fall? Oh, there it is. Okay. Thank you, Alfred. 
Book three opens with uh, Bruce and Jason nearly fighting each other physically over the fact that Batman would never kill the Joker before. And this is sort of what we saw in the end of Under the Red Hood, you know, of like, I'm going to end him once and for all. Like, you couldn't do it. You couldn't even do it for me, you know? It's still that same sort of shit. Well, in this, as you were talking about with the voices earlier, when I read this, I usually don't have a voice for anyone. It's just, I'm just reading it. Yeah. There's no sound. I make sure the room is dead silent. (laughs) I tell my neighbors to be quiet. (laughs) In this scene, when we think about, like, Kevin Conroy is the voice of Batman. Yeah. And Michael Keaton is, like, the physical representation of Batman. But in this scene, I heard Bruce Greenwood from Under the Red Hood. Like, that his voice when he's he says like enough and he pushes him against the wall that is huh. the voice i had in my head and that also just made me really appreciate bruce greenwood's performance as batman yes so i think that's up there with any of them it's a solid batman yeah he was great and as an aside i recently watched that animated death in the family and never watched that just never watch really? it because it's it's but you get to choose the ending well they put up like a streaming version on HBO that's just like one version of it, right? Uh, what it is, it's just a collection of shorts. So the first half hour, I'm going, man, this is really long. It's a complete recap of Under the Red Hood with Batman just narrating everything that we already watched happen in a condensed montage. With footage from Under the Red Hood? Yes, with all the same footage. All the same footage. And then like 10% extra shit and he's just explaining to someone what happened he's explaining to superman and then when we get to the end of under the red hood story-wise it's just them in a cafe for another minute and a half and then it's over that's the whole movie so it's literally just someone telling you they watched the previous movie that's it very artistic. Yeah. Interesting choice. Yeah. yeah. That's a hot take. So don't don't <laughs> watch that. But yes, the original was fucking up there with any of them. Uh, where am I at? They're arguing in the back cave. Yeah, and that's when Bruce kind of goes through of like, well, look, I can't arrest you. Jason says, like, reveals it to Barbara. He's like, oh, he told you he can't do it because you'll reveal yourself. It, oh, yeah, yeah, really exactly. Because it would reveal him too. Isn't that really why? And that's when he kind of flips out at him. Yeah. Mm. And then we cut to uh, the comedian. He's giving indications that he was the killing joke Joker and that he was the, a death in the family Joker and that he was the end game Joker. Cause they, they, they show you all these things. He's got um, the cool hipster haircut, you know, and, and he's saying like, even though the clown took credit for Jason Todd and some of this stuff, the criminal has claimed to be the original. You know, he's already said that. And he's so the oldest one. Yeah, exactly. And so you're going, what the fuck? Like who the fuck is who? And the comedian is saying like, look, I let these guys fuck with you, but you know, the OG, right? Batman goes to Joe chills cell and finds a series of apology letters that he never brought himself to send to Bruce Wayne. Hidden inside in typical Joker fashion is a ticket to the Mark of Zorro at the Monarch Theater. Shout out to uh, Anton first and the design team on Batman 89, the Monarch Theater that we saw over and over on that set. This is where they all converge together. They team up. They all go in again. 
and they take separate entrances on the theater. I like that part where he uh, silently directs them, like, you yeah. up, you down, me, center. You know, it's like six panels dedicated to their like silent hand command. It's cool. Yeah. And both of them get swarmed right away when they come in the side. Barbara is actually getting overtaken by one of these Joker goons. He gets shot while he's on top of her. And she stands up to see Jason, but it's actually the Joker, the comedian. He even has the little wits camera from Killing Joke. Then comes down and shoots Jason too. And so shit's really coming to a head here in a dramatic way. The criminal has Joe Chill dangling over the vat of chemicals. We see where the chemicals went from the semi-truck. They're in this theater. He's strapped with dynamite, the criminal is, and he's threatening to make the best Joker of all. Like, wouldn't it be perfect if Joe Chill turned out to be your Joker? Again, kind of like Batman 89. Like, wouldn't it be the best Joker if it was the same guy who killed your parents, you know? Well, um, uh, but I kind of think the criminal doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne. No, no. And he's saying in terms of like, you know, what really threw this city into peril was when the Waynes died, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the criminal's lighter falls down to the chemicals, explodes, and then Batman has to rescue Joe Chill. And this is more significant than I noticed as I was reading it um, mm-hmm. because Batman rescues all of his villains. That's what he would do, right? But we see him rescue Joe Chill, swoop outside as the place is blowing up. The criminal shows up with his dynamite and again is shot dead by the comedian. We get this, and then there was one. I love that line, too, of like, I want to get off this crazy ride. Uh, (laughs) I I don't want to be here anymore. That burning theater is a a good cinematic scene that would make like an awesome background in a, in a movie. Yeah. Or an animated version. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of, uh, one of the new adventures episodes. They had firefly in a theater trapping. Like there was like a bunch of kids trapped in the theater as he was burning the place down. Batman has to kind of swoop in and save him. But you know, it's also just like so many classic stories where whether it's the animated series and two face, Gets that explosion, you know, and they're on the catwalk, or uh-huh. you know, the Joker falls into the chemicals. You know, it's just got, it's just so Batman. Harvey. Shut up. No. It's, it's just so Batman, you know. Yeah, I want to go back just a little bit because the way Jason is fighting his Joker goons makes me laugh because he's still using his gun. Yeah, which is like a red hood thing, but it's like I'm not gonna kill anyone. But I, I will shoot them all. Yeah. And it's in the same vein as Batman. Like, I don't kill people. I just kick them in the spine as hard as I can. And <laughs> <laughs> like walls and stuff. But I'm not a murderer. I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so Gordon uh, cautions Batgirl about Red Hood and says, like, look, I stand behind you guys and what you do, but watch out for that guy. And she's like, thanks, Dad, or something. And, like, actually no, said. Like, you shouldn't get involved with him. Yeah. Yeah. But she says dad in costume uh-huh. and basically saying like okay let's not pretend you know let's not stand on ceremony <laughs> mr wayne you know uh-huh. um we cut back to uh batman and the comedian the remaining joker 
And he tells Batman, look, I know who you guys are. I've known your identities. I don't care. That's not the point. That's not the game. He's like, I was always in the shadow of your biggest trauma, right? I figured it out. Like, now you have rescued this man. You know, he was able to see his humanity and sort of put closure on that. Work um, through his issues. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I have healed your greatest wound so that I can be the true source wound. of your pain. Uh -huh. You know, and what a brilliantly sadistic manipulation that is so perfect for yeah. the Joker ending. I thought that was fantastic. Uh -huh. I love that. And also in the combination of the clown getting killed pretty early. Yeah. The comedian killing the criminal because both literally, but also like as just kind of a figurative thing, it's like you come out of this story and then you can apply this to current continuity and canon. Yeah. Just like picture of the characters were like, he is the Joker. I mean, they kind of imply, like you said, he is the Joker and all the important points, all the important story beats. That was literally this guy. Yeah. But also we've gotten rid of the campy Joker. Like that's not yep. very important to this character. But also the super hard-boiled, dark criminal Heath Ledger Joker is also not this Joker. Yeah. We've, we've killed those guys. That's not who this person is. Yeah. It's sort of like a been there, done that. You know who the real Joker is. Yeah. That revelation adds a really cool aspect to me. I always just thought that Batman and Joker were like yin and yang, and they're just, they're just opposites, and they're just kind of like eternal rivals. And it wasn't until reading something where it even suggested that they have a weird relationship and they need each other or that there's some kind of weird love going on. Like those were all kind of mini revelations to me when I read them for the first time. And then this struck me in the same way again, that it totally adds like just you remain as mysterious as ever. And yet here's some more weird, complex, sick motivation on your part. Yeah. The whole thing was just to get closer to him. Yeah, I just want to be your weird, evil buddy. Right? <laughs> it's like you and me, Ev. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the epilogue quite a bit, and I know that this sort of lost people a little, but these last couple scenes are really what drove it home. Bruce visits Chill on his deathbed and does make amends. Jason writes a letter to Barbara asking for redemption and saying that, like, if you reach out, I'll give this a chance and I'll try to turn around. And then we see it fall off and uh -huh. uh, get swept away. I don't like that. I love the romance story because I could always use more romance in these books than just kicking the shit out of people. We've heard. I like, yeah, I like that stuff. But that's such a corny ending. Like, I wrote you a note that says how much I love you. I think we should be together. But if you're not interested, that's okay. And I will never say anything about it ever again. And you will not either. And then, oh, fell off the wall, and uh, the janitor, who may or may not be a Joker guy, sweeps it away. And I don't know, man. Think about it, though. This is a dude who is really fucked up, really closed off. It's not in any way in touch with his feelings, right? And so that one conversation they had at her place about her trauma and how they both kind of diverged was enough to have him make a gesture. And I feel like that's really tough. And it's not a thing he's going to just keep doing. It's going to be like, I'm going to be vulnerable. From a writing perspective to have a character go, and I'll never say anything ever again. And then, oh, and the letter 
got accidentally destroyed. Well, for sure. I mean, it's, maybe the wording, but the intent behind it again is like he is willing to be vulnerable, which is not something he does. It's out of character for him. And therefore, he's likely not going to do it again unless it is actually received well. I think it would be better to show him writing it or something and then decide not to send it or decide mm. to destroy it himself or something. Okay. It would just have to be like a coincidental thing that perfectly lines up with his resolution to definitely not mention it at all, ever. Sure, but I mean, it's, it's sort of like the Dark Knight burns Rachel's letter. Like We've talked about this before, like in movies. We're like, why don't you just tell the fucking truth? You know, like, well, then there's no conflict in the story. Uh-huh. Everyone in Seinfeld just had a cell phone. Then yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that made me, as we're talking, I thought he couldn't lose a letter if he just wrote her a text message. <laughs> um, slipped it under the door instead of... Yeah, you could, yeah, if you didn't tape it to the door... He's basically Batman. He could just unlock the door and put it inside <laughs> and then shut the door. He, yeah, he's a super good detective. He's just not a very good letter lever. <laughs> he's, um, he's poor with adhesives. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, not a strong suit. We're shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hoped that maybe the janitor's uniform would be a UHF Easter egg, and it wasn't. <laughs> that was sad. Um, well, that's what made me think it was like a Joker thing because it said "fun time cleaners." Uh, oh, but that's even even sillier because he doesn't knock it off the door; it just falls off the door. So yeah, it's like he's perusing the halls, sweeping <laughs> <laughs> things up, yeah. ruin and, their chance at love. My my last thought was that if this was to continue, what would happen to Jason's character? Like, yeah. would it continue to be totally chill? But then I still think that he would be like put off mentally by the fact that he never heard anything at all back from her. Like, neither yes nor no. And so, for the end of time, like wondering how she received this letter no, and no, how that he put it in the note. He would just go like, oh. She wasn't interested, and I'm never going to speak of it again, and we'll never deal with this ever again. I'm never going to talk about it. Yeah, I think that was kind of his opportunity to make a change, and the fact that that didn't happen, I think that he would probably remain likely unchanged for the most part after that. Just the you know? Yeah. Let me put it another way. I think it's very similar to having the story end with only one Joker alive and have him literally kill one of the other Jokers. The point being in my mind so that you could funnel this back into the main stories and have this all inform the characters yeah. while resolving anything that would be kind of weird if it stuck out yeah and having it be like i wrote you a letter that says i love you but it also says i'll never mention it again if you don't talk back so that way they could just not deal with it in the main <laughs> yeah stories. yeah as if many things were revealed but by the time that you get to the end it's as if nothing has changed and it doesn't affect the rest of the universe yes that that's cool and I think it works with the other stuff, but that point doesn't work. And that's fine. I, yeah, that doesn't bother me. But again, so with the the epilogue in a nutshell, we have Bruce make amends with Joe Chill. The Jason and Barbara thing, Alfred asks Bruce about Joker's true identity. Like, oh, I guess we'll never know. And he's like, motherfucker, I'm Batman. I've known since a week after I met the guy. Now... If you don't think about it too much, it's amazing. That scene from The Killing Joke where the cops come to the bar and they break the news to this guy, the comedian, that his wife died, there was a fire or whatever. The reveal that this was faked, 
his wife's death was not real and that presumably Bruce or someone, I think that's even a mention the cops chipped in for her or something and paid for her and her child to have a new life hidden away. And so revealing that Batman knows this Joker's identity could lead him to drudge up the past and actually realize that they're alive and find them. And so much like the comedian says to him, I know your identity. That's not the point. That's not what matters. He says here, like, yeah, I know, but it's not important. It never was. I fucking loved it. When I got to the last page of this story for the first time, it was just like, God damn, what a fucking ending. And if you're critical with it, the timeline doesn't really add up because that happened before he actually tipped the scales and fully became the Joker because he was still being coerced into being this Red Hood uh, charade at that time. So it doesn't quite work chronologically for her to have been hidden away yet. He wasn't abusive yet or anything. He was just uh-huh. kind of starting to unravel. So that doesn't quite make sense. But reading it the first time and that coming in, as opposed to like, why did Joe Chill really kill the Wayne? Yeah, you know, I was like, now that's a fucking ending right there, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like it. I think that's cool. I got the feeling also that in the killing joke, maybe part of it's just the color scheme that all those flashbacks seem to be like extra long ago. Like maybe mm-hmm. the Joker is actually kind of an old guy. Yeah. So that doesn't jive very well with this because those people of the house would be pretty old if that was the case. I don't think any of that matters because that's the same thing with the killing joke. That stuff is just supposed to like put you in the frame of mind of, cause not long after that he meets Batman for the first time when he's read Batman is the one who knocks him into the acid. Yeah. Or he falls in cause he's afraid of him. So okay. Batman already exists at that point too. I think that's more just to be like, this is the beginning of Batman and this is the middle of Batman and this is the end. Like timeline wise, none of it exists in any kind of real time. You gotta be pretty generous, you know, just to, yeah, yeah. I, I like that he knows who he is because he's Batman and he's a detective and that it's like he, he's on the same level. It's not like Joker got the better of him. He also knows stuff yeah. and keeps to himself and he's smart. But it is weird that like this guy who's just like a bad comedian who's kind of like a, a shitty husband, but not that bad. Uh-huh. The cops in this terrible city are like, he kind of sucks and I think something bad, he's going to be really bad so we're going to pay to send you somewhere else. Let's take his wife and just get away. <laughs> and tell, yeah, and, and tell him that you died. Because Batman doesn't meet the Joker. It's it's another one of those like retrocon things. But that story, what's the one called where it was like not only maybe 10 years ago and it was like the first time Batman met the Joker at the water supply or something. It was a prequel. It was a continuation of the Killing Joke sort of, but a prequel. I'm not sure what you're talking about. The last, the man who laughs or something like that. Oh, I haven't read that one. It's been on my list forever. That's supposed to be like the first time they actually meet as Joker. Okay. Okay. And so Batman doesn't know anything about him at this point. So somehow, and it works because he's Batman, but somehow he goes back to this time and discovers this wife and kid of this guy who he doesn't know at all and has never met in that context in any sense. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it it's make sense. again, the more you think about it, the less it works. But like when I was just <laughs> sucked in the story and reading it as it played out, I was like, oh, fuck, that's awesome. And again, oh, yeah, you I have like I fundamentally you, like it, but it doesn't, and, it doesn't make sense. And you have book two starting with like his sick fantasy of that family, right? Of his unborn child and what it would have been like 
so they're threading that story the whole time. They didn't come out of nowhere or something. Is this implying that the comedian killing joke Joker is the original Joker? And yeah, yeah. He, that's and he's basically... also the leftover Joker that exists now that the other ones are dead? Yeah, yeah that's basically what they were Joker. establishing in that third book is that they show him in, like Ben said, kind of the most iconic storylines uh-huh. and uh, sort of implied that he had allowed these other Jokers to kind of take credit. Gotcha. So even though that one Joker's older, he's a newer Joker. The real Joker made him not that long ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's fed them all the important backstory. You know, speaking gotcha. of the timeline stuff, it's funny that I was just reading through that James Tynan run on Detective again. Like I, I bought the last three books so I could just read the whole series again. And I was about finished with it and I started to realize like, wait a second. So Tim Drake is the crux of this story and he just got accepted to college. So he's like 18 years old, maybe 19, right? At the same time, Jason is here and Tim was introduced right after Jason died within a short window, right? And he wasn't a young child at that time, right? So at most, maybe like five years have passed, tops. And yet Jason is a grown man and Damien exists as Robin. And I was like, wait, none of this shit goes together at all. <laughs> Are you saying sometimes superhero comics play it fast and loose with reality. It's just one of those things of like you're trying to incorporate decades of storylines into one current continuity. It's yeah, just all this stuff which couldn't possibly exist in that much time. Yeah, there's no way. It just you you got to just accept it, you know. Well, that's why they, they get all so up in their own butts and the fans do too of like these crazy reality spanning continuity altering events. The Green yeah. Lantern wasn't really a bad guy. He didn't go nuts. There was some kind of thing inside him. And now, <laughs> now we have to undo everything that happened in the universe and kind of change it a little bit. Yeah. I like more, again, like with this, like where they just picked a chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Red Hood is a thing. Barbara is Batgirl. And the Killing Joke is a thing. But also now it's modern continuity where she healed. Yeah. And uh, it's... And that's what it is, and that's that's the set piece for the story. But who cares about any of the other stuff? Yeah, as, uh-huh. yeah. As long as you can set the stage properly, we can get bought in. Let's get into Easter eggs. What do you guys have that we haven't gone over? I've got the large Marge trucker hat. Yeah, I knew you'd like the, that. The aquarium thugs being like old school Batman. Yeah, what uh, do they have on their uh, chests? It's like. Pow and Biff. Biff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the funny old punch sounds. The onomatopoeia. I think that it's Joker's imaginary home life. The mom is cooking octopus, like in Killing Joke. Oh. Um, there is a part, I'm trying to remember now, where some, some chain gets broken, and they make a point to show the chain, and it looks like a smiley face, the links do. Ah, and then the Wits camera from Killing Joke. Yeah. Ben? I like the, uh, when Barbara's running on the treadmill. So it's not just that the description of the comedian and the shirt he's wearing are like Joker when he shot her. Yeah. The loud shirt and all that stuff. But right mm. before that, it's like an ad or something for something to make your legs work. Oh, it's an infomercial for restless leg syndrome. Yes, restless <laughs> legs. Yeah. 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 They did a thing there too that I thought was clever where it's the end of the 
commercial talking about the potential side effects of the medication mm-hmm. and it's just rattling them off like a person with, like an auction with no spaces and, yeah yeah there's no space it's just uh continuous words i thought that was clever yeah because they always like speed up the voice at the very end mm-hmm. yeah i had a few more um the bat cave in the beginning it's not just jason's suit on display it's everyone so you have all the bat family even all the villains the laughing fish Jack's denture, the long revolver with the bang or pow or whatever flag coming out of it, the bat suit changing through the flashbacks. At one point, you have the 89 belt and emblem, the killing joke black emblem at one point. You have almost a 66 Adam West looking belt at one point. So I, I like all the little nods there as they revisit the timeline. One of the victims was a TV personality, Dr. Huntoon, which was very much like Dr. Wolper in Dark Knight Returns or Dr. Flanders in Nightfall. The second book opens with this fantasy of the Joker's house, right? But outside in the first panels, you briefly glimpse the big purple Joker van from 89 and it's not something that's prominent in that movie but it's in like the car chase scene before him and vicky go up into the air and whatever and they made toys out of them and so yeah the joker van was in there briefly oh jason actually two of the goons he beats up look like two goons from the beginning of 89 the don't kill me man that whole scene those two guys are in there as some of the people he beats up he's got the like the hat on and everything uh the Blackgate inmates show rupert thorne and dr phosphorus who was in that strange apparitions uh that me and ben were talking about and then the Batcave footage of the live stream you show joker getting right up in someone's face and it uh-huh. looks very much like a, you want to know how I got these scars, you know, sort of moment. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's quite a few other things on top of all the things we mentioned as we were going through it. Really, really great detail. Trifecta detective. Well, as you said, Jason is the main detective of this story. Yeah. Although the initial ACE chemicals kind of investigation scene where he's talking to Barbara up above, and mm-hmm. it's a very detective kind of thing. That part, too, Batman notes that the truck has been stolen and that the dead bodies are kind of a distraction for what actually took place Mm -hmm. with the car theft. Yeah, and Batman does find Joe Chill's fingerprints, discovers those letters and the ticket in his cell later. It's one of those things of, like, the villains got their plan laid out so perfectly, and you're like, well, what if he looked somewhere else that day? He wouldn't have seen that ticket. And yeah, you just be... A different book off the show. You just have Joe Chill hanging from that rope for so long going like, I swear he's going to get this clue. You know, like, <laughs> this must happen to the Riddler all the time. He's just waiting. And also this suggestion that he's known who Joker was mm. since the beginning hints at some totally. past detective action. Yeah, this is definitely um, the Batman we know and love. Yeah, Jeff Johns knows Batman. Fucking A. He gets Batman. He looks so solid in this, too. He looks... This is a real good-looking Batman. Yeah. His head-neck ratio is on point. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the, yeah, the cowl is just awesome. 
I mean, as a mouth, I think Batman always looked good with lips. Like when I made that comment about Jim Lee and faces earlier, that's my issue with Jim Lee or just what, I, what I'm not as into. He's always like the straight line thing. It's kind of the yeah. Scott, uh, Greg Capullo does the same thing, doesn't he? Where it's uh-huh. like they don't have lips. Yeah. Actual it doesn't lips. look bad, but I, I just think lips on a face make it look much more real. <laughs> I don't know what it is about lips, but <laughs> make a face look more real. I love them. <laughs> Ninja? There's a lot of ninjas in this. So just the scars at the beginning yeah. showing what he has been through and experienced. I mean, that alone is like, that's crazy. Uh, he kicks a cell door open, a solid metal cell door. Impressive. Fighting three dogs that aren't insane, yeah. I think it's very hard. Three, like, vicious guard dogs. So three of them that are insane, not just to fight them, but to sneak up on them. I'm assuming That's... he must have done some kind of, like, blow dart maneuver or something, because he mentioned tranquilizing them. I pictured it more like uh, the beginning of True Lies, where two of them jumped up and he knocked their heads together. <laughs> 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 and then the other one, he just... He, you got a blow dart at him, sure. <laughs> In the ninja category, what I like about this story is that there is sort of less fighting. There are big action pieces, but much like the killing joke, it is more of a psychological story or a detective story as kind of peeling back the layers and seeing how depraved his new scheme really is, you know, and... Uh-huh. I'm almost more interested in that kind of story. But I do, I always like to be reminded of and to see the physical side of it. For sure. And and even just seeing the Batmobile in action too. So even just a glimpse of seeing that fly through the fucking wall, I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I say uh, that, but you know, it's still great. Cool. Batmobile design in this also. Like kind elements. of has a face. Some shots yeah. it looks like it has a face. Yeah, yeah. Elements of like old stuff with a single fin, but then the front actually looks more like a a real car with a little face action. I really like the double fin though. That I'm not a huge fan of it. It reminds me the single fin just reminds me more of Forever. Forever. Which I Yeah. I, I know, I know. But like for me, if you're gonna do a big bat fin like that, like you, you can't beat the Anton first, Tim Burton. Batmobile with the dual fins on the back. I mean, it's it's an evolution of the 66. You know, it's just, it's got that timeless thing to it. I don't know. Agreed. I just like it because it's different. Well, I don't like anything that's different. <laughs> I want to be reminded of childhood and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. When life was Everything good. has been good already happened to me, and I just need to be told about that more. <laughs> that sounds great. Also, the, saving, the way he saves Joe Chill, that's a pretty yeah. maneuver. That was awesome. An extreme physical feat. Trauma? I don't think we've mentioned any trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, going to the scars scene. I mean, that's the other side of the scars scene. It's just fixating on the past. Yeah. And that being triggered by the Moxon murders, kind of setting this whole thing in motion and bringing back all these thoughts. And, you know, again, each character's trauma being so central to the story is, uh-huh. is fantastic. I like that when... Jason kills the clown. It also dredges up that old guilt that Bruce has and said, I'll never forgive myself for leaving him in that grave. I mean, it's multifaceted. This is definitely the trauma story. When I reread that, I was like, oh, yeah, you didn't know he was dead and you left him. Yeah. That's such and a weird, that's such a weird storyline. Well, again, you don't know which version it is because, like, 
yeah. the Under the Red Hood one from the movie. What is it? It's uh, Ra's al Ghul put a dummy in there. Yeah, he switched yeah. him out. And so Bruce was so sad that he just didn't really look super close at the body. But yeah. in the original comic, he was dead and they buried him in the ground. And yeah. then a reality changing wave brought him back to life. Yeah. Crawled uh-huh. out. We don't talk so, about that. <laughs> yeah, so what, yeah, who knows what this is? I like the connection with. As I was reading it and seeing the different Joker flashbacks to his backstory and events that had happened, and seeing how the other Jokers are like aspects of him, or that's what they're supposed to represent, and then seeing in Barbara and Jason's backstory, and then kind of in Joe Chill too, how each of them are aspects of Batman, or like where they're trying to get Joe Chill to be an aspect of Batman, like Joe Chill represents all the childhood stuff. Yeah. And then both huh. Barbara and Jason's stories are both his failures, but also just the experience of being beaten down by the Joker. And on the one side, coming back from it, on Barbara's side, being strong, growing from it. And then on the Jason side, like not being strong and not growing from it and still being messed up and permanently disfigured by it. Pros? I love and I'm incredibly impressed by the fact that that Fabok is doing the pencils and the inks by yeah. himself. We've talked about this before, how the inker has the ability to change your stuff in a good or bad way. And so you trust when you pass it off that it's going to come out the other side looking good, but it's a very different skill set. And I like people who finish up their own stuff because then it's exactly what they want it to be by the time it's done. It's, it's the culmination of like all of their efforts and with other stuff, the coloring has been a gripe to me in the past. Like I love these vibrant colors, but I've talked about how things look shiny and it just kind of looks sort of hokey to me or, like or digital. Yeah, it looks digital and it's trying to be too much, you know, rather than working in like a really good union with the inks. It's like a standout, but in a bad way, it, it detracts or something. Anyways, I feel the exact opposite about this. This is like modern coloring done right to me. And there's so many parts about it that I think are very cool. Like the pink highlights and in in those like neon tones. But he does this stuff repeatedly where he will create like a hazy tone. There's one where Batman is down on the ground and somebody is up above him. And what you're seeing in the panel is like the person's knees over the edge, looking down at Batman and he's used like a blur effect to blur the knees. So he's creating like depth of focus when clearly that wouldn't be the case with inks. You you couldn't blur it like that. It's just solid black or or white. It reminds me a little bit of what, Alex Sinclair did that was really, really phenomenal in All Star. And again, part of the reason that I I still like that book, despite how crazy it is, is because they really elevated what they did with the artwork. And and for sure. The stuff they did with Gary Frank and Brad Anderson in Earth One, I really liked. But Uh Fabok and Brad Anderson are the dream team. I mean, these guys really get it it's it's that it's again it's that realism but it's that comic realism uh-huh. and they they just struck the perfect balance i hadn't even made the connection between earth one and this also i didn't know yeah it's, they, it was, it's everyone but fabok totally. you know and i said the same thing about that in earth one i was talking about the blood splatters and the things that got added in mm-hmm. baby boy or what's his butt birthday uh, boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh in his bedroom. The Tyrese movie? (laughs) (laughs) There's panels similar in this, like when they get to the theater, there's one where Batgirl is fighting these theater zombies and 
the colorist has added purple confetti, but it also gets the blur effect sometimes, but it sits in front of the inks. Just all this extra cool additional stuff, the, the atmosphere, I don't know that I could properly explain it, but there's this one thing where it does repeatedly where your panel is a single panel, but the way that the colors are broken down, he creates a like a foreground, a middle ground, and a background, which makes it look more like cells in a cartoon because mm. those are transparent layers that exist on top of each other. Yeah. And you'll have the foreground is like colored and solid black, but somehow like the lighting or the fog exists behind that character. So then everything behind them exists in the haze. There's like so much cool depth in this. Yeah. It's up there with some of the greatest ever. This is really a rare one, and it's a testament to so many of those comic artists have to work in that monthly series, or that's why you see like multiple artists in the same collected edition because like they just can't do it that fucking fast, you know, and uh-huh. keep the quality there. But part of the reason that these black label projects are so good, or, or that Killing Joke, or any of these one offs can be so special in such a big event is because it's like, oh, yeah. We worked on this over the course of years and are excited to present to you our fully realized project, not just what we could pull off in this amount of time. Uh, ben, what uh, you have for pros? Uh, well, as I said before, this is like my probably my favorite overall style of Western comics, visual style of like very grounded in realism in both the character designs and the sense of movement. And kind of like how with Earth One, Jeff Johns showed that he understood Batman so well that he could do a new version of him, mm-hmm. not just like a different story with the same guy we know, but like retooling elements and changing things, but have it still feel like the exact same guy, that all the fundamental things were there. Yeah. Uh-huh. This feels like that same level of understanding, but applied to the Batman we already know, all the story elements we already know, and all this is that guy. And it's just it's, yeah, it's stellar. Absolutely. I think that what is done so well here is truly understanding each character, giving them solid motivations, and each one of them has an arc through this story. It's not like popping up for cameos or references for the sake of references. I mean, remember when he got beat with a crowbar? Yeah. Remember that? Remember that one was sick. We're going to take it extra sick. You know, like, no, like it is a spiritual sequel that really understood what was special about that. And there's so much good in here in making real rounded characters come to life. Plus the ending, the way that it resolves and comes full circle with the beginning and still ties in with all those source material uh, stories that we're drawing from. I mean, it's just rare storytelling. It's really great. Another minor pro I had too is I like the uh, visual redesigns of things. Yeah. Like Red Hood's costume. I don't know if that's just the modern costume and I don't realize it, but that looks like a unique version of the Red Hood costume. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's cool. And same with Barbara's costume. I, I like that a lot. Uh-huh. Hey, something I forgot to mention. Do we like the uh, bat? emblem the chest emblem flashlight that was kind of weird uh, it was weird and they made fun of it so it was okay yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i know this is because i liked when they did the simple black killing joke 
emblem in the flashbacks. I think the big yellow works well in um, in either a more Bruce Tim cartoony version or in a Michael Keaton all black. But I felt a little weird about it in Earth One and seeing them kind of draw on that in this. I didn't necessarily love the bright emblem on this otherwise very awesome different suit. Huh. It didn't bother me a lot. And, and someone said that just seems like the way they do it now. We're like with uh, Bermejo. It's like when this guy draws Batman, we make him look like that guy's version. Whether it's a side story or a main story, it's whatever. It's like he just gets to look like yeah. what that guy wants Batman to look like. Yeah, for sure. Jeff Johns wants a big yellow thing. <laughs> <laughs> he likes yeah. a badge. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. likes like a one-foot button. <laughs> Something like you punch it and you make a noise. Like, ding, yeah, it's like, it's like a punk rock pin, only way bigger. <laughs> so we'll call that our backhanded compliment section. And then the cons? <laughs> what do we have for cons? In the beginning... Alfred is patching up Bruce and he has a really gross looking comb over. (laughs) (laughs) Is it greasy or what? (laughs) It's just gross and stringy. Well, and and, uh, by the doll hair, it's gross. Like in my mind, Alfred wouldn't attempt a comb over. He's he's, he grows out a little hair, but he's otherwise embracing the fact that he is bald on the top of his head. Like he's dignified and confident, and yeah, he's not he's not vain in that way. Well, and we just watched, and and we followed it up with Batman the Animated Series, and I love how that Alfred looks. Mm. He, he looks clean and presentable, and he whatever. That's how I picture his hair. And this one has just these gross, clumpy. It's like three. <laughs> it, it's like you guys ever see that like Death Clock cartoon. Oh yeah, the uh, is this a bass player. Or the red, yeah, like the, yeah. that's yeah. It's just a disgusting. It's like three small dreadlocks draped across the top of its head, or something. It looks gross. You know what? You're like Larry David on that Curb Your Enthusiasm, where he's uh, hiring, I think, a chef for his restaurant or something, and the guy comes in and he's got the exact same hair as Larry. They get along great, and he's like making jokes about, oh, the two bald guys this is great, you know. And then he sees the guy in public, like at the store or at a restaurant or something. And he's like, why does this guy look so familiar? And he takes a beat and it's that guy, but with a toupee. And he's like, the fucking guy wears a toupee. If he lies about this, he'll lie about anything. We can't trust him, you know. Ben, cons? So what works so great about it is that, like I said, it elevates all these other stories some of them like Death in the Family, which were just kind of like a gimmicky joke that became yeah. really interesting and important through other people's eyes. Because it's so dependent on other things, it's convoluted and a little overwrought. Like you said, with like that next month, Joe Chill comes back. Who cares? Yeah, so? That's a, that's, yeah, like, <laughs> it's too much. So that just, it's like, it's so dependent on other things that it gets bogged down a little bit at times. Yeah. That was mostly my notes as well is that especially reading it one issue at a time it's a little too messy and honestly you know when you start reading it it's a dumb premise you know <laughs> three like, jokers three times crazy like that's really stupid three times the edge lord <laughs> to, to be honest though that's i mean that's and that's, the edge lord joker is the one who survived man yeah your favorite uh, but think about that. I mean, if someone just explained that to you and you hadn't seen any of the covers or any of the awesome, like you didn't know how it tied in with the other stories, but someone was just like, 
Yeah, so the whole time, there was actually three Jokers, and you don't know which one is which. I'd be like, man, get the fuck out of here, right? Yeah, what a shit pitch. Even after reading it, it's dumb. Yeah. I mean, like, I love this book. It's, it is dumb. It's like, stupid. Yeah. Well, I remember in the Snyder and Capullo run at the end when they tease it, it's like, wait a minute. There were three of them? Yeah, and that's the that's- dumbest shit. It's like a massive cheap gimmick, and yet they root it in so much... Uh, realism and in all these stories all this lore that we love that it somehow transcends all of that you know and so Uh as i'm reading it i'm like oh man this part's fucking stupid or like this doesn't even make sense or like what the fuck is happening where is this even going again reading it issue by issue i felt more like that starts amazing ends amazing and in the middle, there are some trouble spots. So that's that's really all I'll, I'll shit on it. But the fact that they take such a dumb idea <laughs> and make me so satisfied with it is really a testament to the skill of this collaboration. Well, and they kind of rationalize it a bit, too, with once you get to the end with like the pretty solidly understood thing that the real Joker is the comedian. Yeah. And he's the guy who did all those important things. Then it can be a little more like, well, maybe these new Jokers haven't really been around all that long. Yeah, and I don't believe that they have. I just... The idea of Joker experimenting on people and trying to, you know, in a sense, clone himself or come up with a, you know, another version. Like Batman does with Robin and yeah, Batgirl and is everybody. is corny and gimmicky, but also kind of cool because, like, the criminal in the end, he believes that the Joe chill jokerizing process is the big gag, right? He thinks that that's the big thing. And then the comedian's like, you think I wanted to do what? So in one breath, he's saying, this is fucking stupid audience. I agree. But he also made those guys. Presumably it's sort of like, yes, we're bought into this, but also I'm giving you a wink that like, come on. (laughs) It's dumb. Rating? Four and a half. Yeah, four and a half for me as well. I think that is the only appropriate number because the art is a five no matter what. But again, there are moments that we can rightly criticize kind of throughout each issue. And so Uh I can't say enough great things about this story. I really, really enjoyed it. The whole team killed it. But yeah, I think a, f- a four and a half is a, a realistic rating. And I think this is going to stand up as being a fan favorite for a long time. Another freaking Joker story. Jesus. You know, there's other Batman villains. This is Robin. Thanks for checking out the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm going to drop some news here at the end, so hang out for just a moment. If you like the show, please do subscribe to it. Share it on social media. Go to iTunes and give us that five-star rating on your iPhone. We really appreciate that. Drop us a review. All of these things help spread the word. We don't make any money on this show. In fact, it costs us money. Uh, We just do it for the love, so... Your help is appreciated. Now, we are hitting the ground running. We're going to come back weekly up until the end of March when we do the Snyder Cut. And then we'll get back to our twice a month routine. All right. So every Friday, stay tuned. And we're going to be back 
next week with The New Batman Adventures. Stay tuned.